Welcome to A Reason for Hope, your question connection with the entire Word of God. We'd love for you to join the conversation. Simply follow us on our Facebook page at Calvary Christian Fellowship. If you have a question, please text or email us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. And on today's episode, we have a special guest. Let's tune in. Well, very good afternoon, morning, or evening to you, wherever you may be. Welcome to another edition of A Reason for Hope. I'm Scott Richards, joined here by Dave Robson today. We're here to answer your questions on the Bible. Maybe you've got questions about a passage or two that has generated more questions for you than it's giving you answers. Let's explore the Word of God together. Maybe you're going through some challenging times in your life. You'd like to apply the time-tested principles we find in the Word of God to what's going on in your life currently. You know, I think you're going to be really encouraged to see how by taking a look at the precepts, the principles, even the uh, practical examples of how God has dealt with people in the Word of God, uh, that uh, the problem that you're going through aren't really anything new or different, and the Lord has tangible, practical, and applicable answers for any challenge you might be facing. Let us know what's happening with you. We'll let you know what the Scripture has to say about it. Uh, Just get in touch with us, and uh, we'll uh, explore those personal issues together. Ask tough questions about the Christian faith, or always wanted to ask a tough question about the Christian faith. Our only standard for the questions we answer here on the broadcast, pretty simple. Uh, Just make sure it's a sincere question. If you're looking for an answer straight from the Word, we'll be happy to supply it. Uh, The events of the day, even the events of tomorrow through biblical prophecy, all over that as well. Dave, if uh, people want to jump in and be an active and vital part of the broadcast, how can they do that? Yeah, in many ways, it's good to be with you again. Uh, Our email address is questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's all the words, questions, for, F-O-R, hope at gmail.com. You can email us there. Um, But if you are looking at us, then you've probably found us on one of our live stream platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Roku, Apple TV, on our website. Um, So you can just head to the comment corner and send your your messages there, your questions there. We will be monitoring those as well. So again, our email is questionsforhope at gmail.com or Facebook. You can search for Calvary Christian Fellowship or facebook.com slash ccf Tucson. YouTube is a reason for hope. That's a reason for hope. You'll find us there. And our church website here is calvarychristianfellowship.com. Follow the the link for watch live. Um, And also, again, if you have an Apple TV device or Roku device, if you search for Calvary Christian Fellowship, we have an app and we're live on there as well. So you might want to uh, see us on the big screen and check out the wrinkles that we have, huh? (laughs) Yeah, maybe more uh, high definition than you than you would for. like. So, yes. yeah. But we do offer that. <laughs> <laughs> well, suffice it to say, uh, you can use any or all of those avenues to get your questions to us. We're really looking forward to seeing how the Lord guides and directs our conversation. As uh, we always mention here, we don't uh, pre-screen or decide in advance mm-hmm. what questions we're going to answer. Uh, we try to answer them as you bring them up. So uh, with that said in mind, boy, do we need God's divine intervention or what, Dave? Would Absolutely. you like to pray for us? Uh, yeah, the broadcast today. I'd love to. Yeah. Well, Lord, yes, I thank you for your word, for your truth, and that is absolutely what we want to share. We pray that that um, you would intervene and make any word that we share um, be true and biblical yes. and from you, Lord. We don't want to share our own opinions or um, what we think about things. We truly want to just channel your truth, Lord, and, and your word. Help us to do that. Lord, thank you for this opportunity. We pray for everyone that's listening or viewing, Lord, that um, that you would bring to our, our, our hearts and minds questions that 
uh, could really encourage us to ultimately glorify you with our lives, Lord. And just thank you for this technology. Thank you that we can utilize it for for your glory and your kingdom. And uh, again, we just ask for your blessing and your, and your leadership as we seek you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, Amen. before we dive into the questions, uh, just a few uh, prophecy update-oriented uh, issues uh, in the news we want to make you uh, aware of. Uh, our good friend Amir Safadi on his excellent Behold Israel website. If you're not following Amir at Behold Israel, may I highly recommend that you do that. Amir and uh, Barry Stagner, who's a good friend of ours as well, the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Tustin, California, uh, really provide just a, a wonderful resource each and every day. You can follow them uh, online at Behold Israel. You can uh, follow him on his, uh, I guess it's on Telegram, uh, that he has his uh, daily uh, prophecy updates. Mm. Really interesting stuff. Very connected uh, with what's going on in Israel. Really good insights almost each and every day. Uh, his update today had a uh, very interesting uh, paragraph, and it's something uh, going on in the world that could have uh, major implications for us uh, that uh, most of us are probably not even aware of. Uh, he uh, writes, we are closer to World War III than we've ever been. Jolly news for a Thursday. Wow. Said this past week, Lithuania, De declared that it will uphold the European Union's sanctions against Moscow and will not allow rail transfer of certain goods across its territory to Kaliningrad, uh, which is Russia's only warm water port. Uh, this amounts to about 50% of the goods transferred uh, in uh, Russia that is separated from its home country by two other nations. Uh, Russia is already reeling uh, because of uh, the uh, European Union's recent agreement with Egypt and Israel for natural gas. Question mm -hmm. is, how is President Putin going to respond if he puts military pressure on Lithuania? Well, Lithuania is a NATO nation officially. And as such, uh, the NATO pact uh, essentially states its doctrine is that an attack on one member is an attack on all, uh, including the United States. So if uh, Russia will force uh, the NATO alliance into this kind of a dilemma. The big question is, will there be military conflict? And so um, I like the uh, proverbial game of uh, chicken. Uh, we're going to see who blinks first in this uh, particular uh, conflict. And uh, there are all kinds of flashpoints, as we've mentioned. Israel is in a very weak position. I had an opportunity to discuss uh, the uh, outcome of Israel's election with our tour guide, Ronnie Simone, uh, asked what his take uh, was on all of this. He really feels that uh, this uh, whole uh, breakdown uh, in terms of uh, the Israeli governmental structure really kind of comes down to a battle of egos more than anything else. Well. And if uh, the main politicians would set aside their egos for the good of the nation, uh, most of the conflict he feels could be solved. But that's a big uh, if yeah. when it comes to politicians in general, and especially uh, politicians uh, these days. So, uh, you know, he feels like there is really going to be no resolution for all of this, uh, that uh, neither side is going to be able to get the dreaded 61 votes in the Knesset to form a new government. So another election and another election and another election is going to be called. Another interesting uh, development uh, that I wanted to touch on real quickly. Fascinating headline in the Jerusalem Post today. Uh, Abraham Accords would destabilize the region, says U.S. Homeland Security. Now, my first response to that was the Abraham Accords have really brought quite a bit of stability to the region, uh, even setting the stage 
possibly for something that nobody could have ever dreamed possible, that is Israel and Saudi Arabia normalizing relations. Uh, the relationship, say, for instance, between uh, Israel and Jordan, uh, Israel and uh, the United Arab Emirates, uh, other nations that had been sworn enemies of Israel prior to this time, just been absolutely uh, spectacular. But uh, our homeland uh, security uh, came out with a statement saying, no, 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 it's really destabilized the region because uh, by Israel having these favorable relations with these nations around, including Egypt and so on, it has uh, just made the Palestinians more angry. Uh, so, you know, we really have to understand a little bit about what the Palestinians are all about. Uh, there is no such thing as a Palestinian people. They are individuals who trace their roots to places like Syria or Lebanon or Egypt or Jordan. Uh, the uh, Palestinian title uh, really goes back to an insult, believe it or not, that the Romans conferred on the Jews way back when. Uh, they called that entire area Palestine when they took over because the Philistines were one of the most noted and persistent enemies of Israel in the past. And so in order for them to understand uh, that you are under our domination now, Rome says we're going to call the whole region uh, a name and honor of one of your most ancient enemies. So uh, the idea of a, a Palestinian people is uh, really a non-starter. It's really something that has never uh, existed as far as a nation state is concerned. Something that was uh, really brought up uh, by Yasser Arafat. Uh, he founded his uh, Palestine Liberation Organization, by the way, uh, way back in 1962, uh, prior to the 67 war, where Israel took over the West Bank and uh, the other territories. Uh, he wanted uh, the Jews kicked out of any portion of uh, the territory of Israel way back when. So uh, the idea of a Palestinian people, you can really see that it was a tactic, a uh, sort of a third column, if you will, to be able to uh, launch attacks against Israel and try to delegitimize the Jewish state. And it's uh, for its intended purpose, it's worked very, very well. Uh, you know, once again, uh, the um, confusion that comes in here is which side of this conflict is the United States finally going to settle on? Uh, you know, it does seem to, to be that uh, we're talking on both sides of our mouth. On the positives, we've told you, uh, the United States has cooperated directly with Israel as far as uh, wargaming and attack on the Iranian nuclear facilities. But on the other side of the coin, it does seem that uh, the United States also is trying to curry favor with the mad mullahs in Iran, which was certainly the, uh, the impetus behind uh, the uh, so-called Iran, uh, Iranian nuclear deal. Uh, so, uh, once again, I, I would just really encourage you to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, pray for our leaders in the United States that we would take seriously uh, what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, that God is going to bless those who bless Israel and curse those who curse them. I certainly don't want to have uh, our nation making common cause with those who are uh, working feverishly to bring about the end mm. of uh, the Jewish state. Uh, so when you see things like this, and you see these kind of reports being issued by our Homeland Security, that arguably one of the uh, greatest peace-building initiatives 
that has happened in the Middle East uh, is uh, being uh, said to be a, a, a potential uh, powder keg of conflict in that region. You sort of wonder who's writing this sort of thing. And, uh, you know, there's the comic uh, book idea of the multiverse. I sort of wonder yeah. what multiverse they are living in. <laughs> right. uh, you know, it almost reminds me of the old saw from uh, Orwell's 1984, uh, you know, peace is war. Uh, so, you know, that seems to be the position of our homeland security. Uh, let's pray that wiser heads prevail. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And uh, on, was it Tuesday that you gave that prophecy update for those who may have missed it? Yes. It was, it was Tuesday, yeah, right? Tuesday, yeah. 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 If you scroll back on Facebook or YouTube, um, if you're interested in more of, of a prophecy update, we did one on, on, on Tuesday. Pastor Scott shared some stuff there as well just in case you missed that yeah more yeah. on israeli politics than you'll ever want to know so, yeah. <laughs> i learned i learned a lot yeah, yeah i learned some things about the the uk politics too yeah. yeah yeah well um if you're ready to launch into some questions we had a question as you mentioned yesterday from nina that we didn't get to and um yeah it was a question about when jesus cast demons um into pigs and I, i'll comment too because you said uh, as you do the the top of the show every show you know about honest questions and as right. I, I remember reading this question yesterday we didn't get to it but if i remember it came from someone it wasn't necessarily an honest question and just in case people may ask well what's an honest question what isn't one there's questions that many people will ask just to try and trip you up you yeah. know they're not a believer but they want to show well jesus did this well how about that well how about dinosaur you know it's not really an honest question right um right and i guess you know wisdom you you get to a place where you learn kind of what to engage and what not to or, or kind of to um, sense where a person's coming from and I know you've shared with you know always to bring it back to, to Jesus the person of Jesus who he is who he is to you in your life and those kind of things but yeah. but that being said the question was about when Jesus cast out demon and he cast them into pigs and, and was that animal cruelty, cruelty he didn't have to do that he could just cast them into the sea or whatever he wanted to do because he's God but yeah yeah, yeah. well you know a couple things it always pays to actually read the, the text before you make an indictment along that line. <laughs> Get out. Uh, yeah, very, very helpful. The, the uh, incident is described in three different places in the scripture, Matthew chapter 8, Luke chapter 8. But the account uh, that I'll, I'll share with you is uh, from Mark chapter 5. It says, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gatherings. In other words, they left their comfortable digs on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, and now they're on the eastern side, which was a decidedly uh, unsavory mixture of Jews and Gentiles, mostly mm. Gentiles at this point. It was the place uh, that was called the Decapolis, or a league of ten largely Gentile cities, which also had Jewish influence. And uh, this idea of uh, it being a place of darkness, of compromise, went back generations. Mm. Uh, when the people of Israel settled uh, the, the Promised Land under Joshua, uh, the, when they came into the land, there were tribes like the tribe of Naphtali who said, you know, um, we'll be happy uh, to uh, help you guys conquer the promised land. But boy, this area here on the east side of the Jordan is great grazing land, and uh, our people would be very comfortable here. Uh, can we just stay on this? Do we have to cross the Jordan, actually, and go into the promised land? There was a, a big to-do uh, about uh, Joshua saying, you know, don't think if you abandon your brothers at this point that God's somehow going to take care of you or that somehow you're going to live in peace and security. 
if you're willing to follow through on the commitment you made to God to help uh, conquer and settle the promised land, well and good. But if not, you know. So they did follow through on that initial commitment. But the fact that they were on the other side of the Jordan River did create a great tendency towards compromise. Uh, idolatry was very common uh, among the Jewish people that had lived there. Uh, they, they had adopted Gentile customs and so forth. And so, uh, you know, we see that this was a place that was pretty dark in a lot of ways. And so when they came out of the boat, uh, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. In fact, if you go to Israel to this day, you can make arrangements to go into the territory of Jordan and look at the area around Gadara. Uh, they know where the site is. And you do see right on these uh, uh, walled cliffs that uh, abut the Sea of Galilee, there are still the remnants of these tombs there, the limestone, very easy to dig into, and so very uh, easy to create a, a cemetery there. And out of the tombs came a man with an unclean spirit who had been dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had been uh, bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now notice this man is identified not as being mentally ill, but demon-possessed. Hmm. Um, you know, we would say, well, you know, it does seem, you know, like the cutting, the self-cutting, the self-injuring, the crying out, uh, the isolation and so forth. Is this just a mentally ill individual? Well, no, the uh, mental illness, uh, the illness that he is being described, definitely had supernatural qualities to it. Among them, the ability to break shackles and chains and, and so on. It says, uh, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him, believe it or not, and cried out with a loud voice, and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. The other accounts say, do not torment me before the time. In other mm -hmm. words, uh, these demonic entities realized who Jesus was and what he had come to do, but they were kind of like, whoa, wait a minute, we didn't expect you so quickly. You know, uh, the, the very interesting insight in the fact that uh, Satan and his minions know the word of God backwards and forwards. I mean, the old Sun Tzu line about if you're going to be successful in war, know your enemy and know yourself. Uh, so they definitely knew about uh, God's plans to right this world gone wrong. And he said, for he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. And he asked, what is your name? And he answered, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, a Roman legion was anywhere from three to 6,000 troops. Hmm. And uh, most scholars, commentators, take the point of view that by uh, using that name, that wasn't maybe their official designation. Uh, but uh, what they were trying to do was trying to intimidate Jesus. Hmm. Uh, and uh, by saying that they were a legion, what they were saying was they were organized, they were numerous, and they were mighty. Uh, they were no one to mess around with, and so they had dominated this particular region. Well, Jesus wasn't uh, the least bit impressed, and uh, when Jesus <laughs> didn't back down an inch in the face of these demons, uh, they also begged earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Uh, you know, in other words, these demons had uh, pretty well uh, worked out their way of keeping this whole region 
in darkness and superstition uh, and uh, away from the knowledge of the true and living God, the people that were living in such reaction to these demons, they couldn't even think about their spiritual condition. And so uh, they were pretty much uh, of the mindset that they didn't want to see Jesus undo all the demonic work that they had done. Now, a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Now, we're told another, in another account in the book of Luke, they begged him not to send him into the abyss. Uh, in, in other words, in the book of Revelation chapter 9, we are told there is a, a place called the abyss, literally the bottomless pit, uh, that apparently is such a nasty place that even the demons are frightened of being there. And when you see in Revelation chapter 9 the kind of entities that come out, of this bottomless pit, scorpion-like creatures that uh, are able to inflict uh, pain upon people where they wish to die but can't find death and so forth. Mm. Uh, you can see that uh, even these demons didn't want to hang out in that wow. particular neighborhood. So, uh, you know, at once Jesus gave them permission. Now notice he doesn't say, I want you to go into those pigs. He gives them permission to go into the pigs. Mm. And uh, when uh, that happened, the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled and told it in the city and the country. And they went out to see what it was that happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and uh, saw him sitting clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told him how it had happened to him who had been demon-possessed about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got out of the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in the Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Hmm. Now, here you see these demons entering the swine. Why did Jesus permit this at all? Well, it wasn't uh, really anything that had anything to say about how Jesus felt about pigs, but it did have something to say about what was going on in that region. Uh, you know, as we mentioned, uh, this area on the eastern side of the Galilee was known for compromise. It was known for abandoning God's law. Here you had individuals who were raising swine, pigs. Boy, if you really want to offend an observant Jewish person, offer them a BLT, <laughs> right. uh, because that is the most defiling thing that you could possibly come in contact with, you know, according to kosher laws. They've, they've really elevated the idea of eating swine's flesh and so on. In fact, in the Old Testament, uh, we see God even indicting uh, the, the people of God for doing these sort of things in secret. The book of Isaiah speaks about that. Uh, and so here you have Jewish people who are raising swine. Now, why are they raising swine in this region? Well, one of two options. Either they were eating it, which was a flagrant disregard mm -hmm. for the laws of God, or maybe even worse, you know, we could say, well, why does God uh, preclude uh, the eating of, of swine so much? Well, back in that day, before we understood germ theory and so on, uh, eating pigs and pig flesh, even to this day, if you're going to eat any kind of pork or bacon, make sure it's very, very well done mm. because uh, pigs tend to carry a, uh, a virus called trichinosis. 
which is uh, really nasty if you get it. They also were known for uh, transferring worms and parasites to those who would eat of it. Mm. So you've either got Jewish people are completely disregarding these kosher laws and so dishonoring God, or individuals saying, well, I'll never eat this stuff, but these dumb Gentiles down here, you know, they seem to be crazy about their BLTs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, let's uh, go ahead and make good money off of something that deep down inside they knew was dishonoring to God and probably by experience detrimental to people. Mm. So here you see these individuals that are thoroughly compromised. And when Christ comes on the scene, the darkness is exposed to the light. Mm. Not just the demonic darkness, but the compromise of God's people. And so when these demons enter into these swine, in a sense, it was a wake-up call to those who had crossed those kind of lines and had entered into that kind of compromised situation. Some people say, well, you know, in the, a little extreme, you know, they run over and, you know, they're, they're all killed and so on. Jesus is driving home a really important point. He is emphasizing to them that their disregard for the things of God was having decided impact upon the lives of people. What Jesus was demonstrating was that God was far more concerned with the welfare of this one demon-possessed man than just looking the other way and pretending, oh, well, it's no big deal, Mm. while his people were compromising and involved in an area that was really to the detriment of even the uh, Gentiles who were around them. And so, you know, when people focus in on, well, why does, you know, Jesus send uh, the swine of the pig? It kind of gets to what you were saying, Dave, about is this really a sincere question Mm. or not? Um, Are you more concerned about Jesus, in a sense, cleaning house with his people that had compromised? Or have you forgotten the monumental change that happened in the life of this man as a result of being delivered from these demonic things? And it tells us some things. You know, these days there is a resurgence of people who think they can play footsie with the occult and get away with it. Mm. Uh, You know, that uh, they can sort of hedge their bets and get what they want if uh, you know they go to a seance or they have their horoscope read or they get involved with astrology or things like this, right. you need to realize that when you're playing around with these things, you know you say, "Oh well, the Ouija board is just a game." You're playing around with these things, uh, you can very quickly and easily find yourself getting played. Uh, you know, the, the the fact of the matter is, Jesus was was illustrating that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Satan comes to do, and you see the destruction. And it happened to this man. How did he become demon-possessed in the first place? We're not told. Mm. But understand, you just don't walk down the street one day and a demon jumps on you. Uh, Just as the Lord requires us to use our free will and our free choice to invite him into our lives, uh, the only time you get to a place where you're demon-possessed like this uh, is because you've invited it. And uh, there have been situations, I've talked to people uh, in, uh, in ministry, uh, just a, a few in my ministry experience who I feel are genuinely possessed. And what they'll tell you is that they get a benefit from it. You know, that, that Satan kind of makes it good for them to be possessed, to give themselves over entirely to them. And when you see people that are knee-deep involved with the occult, they don't do it just because they're bored or they don't have anything better to do. They really believe that they're getting something out of this, that they're, they are in control. And, and the funny thing is, Satan uh, loves to control. He wants to rule and reign. 
He wants to be God, if you will. Mm -hmm. And that is manifest by the domination that these demons eventually bring about in the lives of a person. And, and it is always to their destruction. You know, when you see people uh, that, you know, like, say, for instance, even in the entertainment industry, uh, they'd get involved with playing around with occultic things and, oh, I'm going to sing satanic songs and, and it's going to be all right. Boy, you look at them, you know, 20 years down the line from their heyday and their lives are just a wreck. Mm -hmm. They are just absolutely destroyed by all of these things. You know, and, and so we see an illustration of that in this particular passage. The other interesting thing is this. The demon-possessed guy wants to go with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I don't want you to go. But go and tell your neighbors and your friends the great things that God has done for you. And we we're told that he not only shared that in Gadara, where he was from, but he went through the whole Decapolis, this whole league of 10 Gentile Greek-dominated cities, mm. and shared the good news of Christ. Do you realize this is the first example of a Gentile missionary that we find in the entire Word of God. Wow. The Jewish people, the disciples, weren't at a place where they really even want to have anything to do with Gentiles at yeah. this point. So God actually uh, gives this formerly demon-possessed man uh, the privilege of, if you will, of softening up the soil mm. of the Decapolis. Mm. Uh, for when the disciples would eventually be dragged, kicking and screaming, into sharing the gospel with non-Jewish people. Right. So it was really a high honor uh, for this formerly demon-possessed guy. And the, the only other thing I'd add to that is this. Uh, you know, I was reading Chuck Smith's commentary in the book of Acts, and he said something that really uh, hit me a couple of days ago. You know, he talked about the Apostle Paul sharing his testimony with uh, you know the uh, the uh, various uh, uh, Roman and and uh, and uh, Greek rulers that he had the opportunity to share with, he always told the story of how God got a hold of his life, and he said, you know, one of the most powerful proofs that Jesus has risen from the dead is the story that we can tell of the difference that Christ has made in our lives. Mm -hmm. And we really undersell that sometimes. We just think, well, that's my thing, and the other people have their other thing. You know, but you know, if you decide to debate theology with somebody, well, they can debate theology with you until the cows come home. But if you say to somebody, this is the difference that Jesus made in my life. Mm -hmm. This is where I was. This is what's happened to me. These are the things that God is teaching me. These are the changes, you know, in terms of how I look at people, how I'm able to love people, how I'm able to forgive people, that, that Christ has done for me. You know, that's a really powerful thing, you know. And so I just, I really love that line, Jesus saying, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. You know, we should probably write those words down, put them on a three by five card, stick them on the refrigerator with a vegetable magnet. Mm -hmm. Because if we go into our day with that mindset of just following through on that simple command that Jesus gives here, go home to your friends, the people who know you best and know you most, start with them, tell them the great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion on you. Mm. Man, lives are gonna be impacted. Yeah. So. And that's a very non-threatening thing to do, to share from your own life. Yeah. You know, it's not like I'm peppering you with questions or, or yeah. you know, trying to sniff your sin or whatever. Yeah. Just, hey, let me share yeah. what, I, you know, what, I've, what I've experienced. And um, Nina, I hope that helps you out. To, to clarify, I know that that was a, a um, honest question from you, but I remember you indicating that it was someone had asked you those questions. I got the impression that someone was um, 
asking you those difficult questions. So we hope that that helps you out, and um, and, and maybe even as we just said about sharing um, what's what the Lord has done in your life, and maybe even diverting things to there. Hey, here's an interesting question. I'll throw it out to to you, Dave. Uh, it comes from Mike. Uh, Mike is uh, a fellow Brit who joins us uh, oh, great. Uh, in the wee small hours of the morning out there. So I figured you guys would be able to understand each other. Uh, he, he writes, <laughs> I'll translate for you. Yeah, he, uh, he writes, uh, how can I experience joy mm-hmm. reading the word and connecting with God? I feel anxious and confused when I read it. Mm. What would you say to someone in that situation? Well, um, before I forget to say, I believe yesterday we, we talked a bit about this as well, studying the Word and getting to a point where, um, you know, you feel like you have a grasp on it. But I, I noticed this question as well, and, and my heart goes out to you, Mike, because I, I sense just some uh, just struggle there with the words, obviously the words you use in anxiety. And the first thing that strikes me is to ask, you know, why, you are, why you're studying the Word. And I shared a little bit yesterday about when I first, especially when I first came on staff here at the church, there was an anxiety that I needed to know the word, I needed to share the word. When people called up at church and I answered the phone, I need to say the right thing. I didn't want to, and there was just a great anxiety. And the the long and the short is that the Lord knows what we know. He is the one that equips us. He is the one that um, has given us our gifts and opportunities and firstly just to pause and I you know I don't obviously know you and where this anxiety is coming from but just to pause and and just realize the kind of father and shepherd we have in the Lord that 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 kind of fear is not from the Lord that kind of anxiety he hasn't wound you up and let you go like a wind-up toy he wants to equip you and teach you like a father and um, and he's very patient in doing that and I've experienced that in my life (laughs) because I had a similar anxiety and sometimes I mean Pastor Scott can close his ears, but sitting next to this man, I can be intimidated with his Bible knowledge, and you notice I'm throwing the questions his way. Um, and but you I, notice I, I threw one his way. <laughs> I, I, he's been living in terror of that all week. <laughs> I have. <laughs> yeah. I have indeed. Yeah. Um, but I, I, am, I have, you know, giftedness that the Lord has given me and a unique life before him, and so do you. And so firstly, I would say that, just to, to pause and pray, like, why am I come into the word is it is it like a, I guess a sense of pride like I just want to know the word and I want to be right and it, uh, that you need to just kind of put aside and and seek the word to grow in your relationship with the Lord and remember the kind of Lord he is is our father and he longs to uh, to teach us and to guide us in those ways and I, um, I think about Micah 6 8 just a wonderful verse which you can come back to in so many things where the Lord says, I, I've shown, shown you, man, what is good and what do I require of you that you do justly, love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Yep. You know, And obviously growing in the word, there's scriptures that talk about that and being equipped, but ultimately he wants us to walk humbly right. with him. You know, It's not like I need you to know the Old Testament by this time next year. <laughs> it's just walk humbly with God um, and and he will guide you in those things. And then, you know, practical things of being, I know I've grown being, you know, part of a Calvary Chapel um, church. I mean, pretty much all, you know, almost all, if not all Calvary Chapel churches teach through the word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. That's something that Pastor Chuck Smith, you know, just instilled. Um, be part of a church that teaches the, teaches the word, where you're sitting down, you're learning the word, be in a small group. Find someone in your life that you look up to um, who will disciple you. Ask them, hey, like, can we get together once a week, have coffee and go through a book? Um, but do it 
find that joy that the, God is not giving you an anxiety over that. There's no there's no test that's coming next week. Yeah. Um, he wants you to 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 seek Him in love and to read the Word because you want to grow in your love for Him. So I yeah, love that. yeah, and I, I think that's that's excellent. We have to remember who we're communicating with when we read God's Word. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, I I think. One of the uh, the problems that we fall into, Mike, is uh, sometimes we can get around people that are Bible-y, but uh, kind of have an edge to them, uh, maybe are a little bit legalistic. Uh, you know, we want to uh, understand the grace and the truth that are in Christ Jesus. Uh, we we want to have our uh, opportunities to be in God's Word focused in on drawing near to the person of Christ, because Christians get it right and Christians get it wrong. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, we get it right and we get it wrong. But we have to understand we got a good shepherd of the, of the flock and, and that, that he loves you, Mike, and that he is more concerned about you walking with him in a way that honors you than you could ever be. And uh, I know when I start to focus in on me and what I do for God as being the basis of my relationship with him, uh, all my joy and peace goes out the window. But if I understand that you know the lord loves me and he proved that beyond a shadow of a doubt by sending his son to die for me and if that was the depth of his love this idea of now that i'm saved he's going to have these really uh, stringent and stingy kind of attitudes towards me and a lightning bolt with my name out if i step out of line that's completely contrary to the god we find revealed in the scripture so mm. uh you know ask the lord when you, you read the word mike to reveal himself to you and remember who the author is on it uh you know make sure that you're getting the whole counsel of god and not just uh, say uh gravitating to certain verses that some people might take out of context and kind of use to beat you about the head and shoulders so yeah i know when i um friend of mine in high school his name was andy who led, led me to the lord of over three years he was very very patient in nurturing me but he recommended i started in the in the gospels you right know? um and that was very that was very wise i mean i'm sure many people pick up the bible and they read it they want to read it like a book they want to start in genesis they want to go throughout and not that that's a bad thing but if you do that um and again i don't know where you're at mike with your bible study or or how much of the word you have read but if you start from the beginning, just go through. Be, expect to be a bit confused and, right. <laughs> you know, and overwhelmed. Right. Um, and that's why my friend said, just you know, read the Gospels, the, the life of Jesus, you know, which is obviously foundational to our our faith and relationship with God. And then from there, and this has been my experience, you start to add things around that and to that because the, the whole Bible, Old and New Testament, points to Jesus and to. Um, to him as a person and what he accomplished and and that was helpful for me to start to block it around um, those truths so if that if that helps you out yeah. as well yeah yeah well yeah. well I hope that that uh, definitely helps you out Mike and uh, again thanks so much for joining us from across the pond as they say yes yeah very good I'll be yeah. there in a yeah. few weeks yeah. we're running to each other but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's only several billion people that live yeah, there, yeah well you never know <laughs> yeah yeah um, I have a question here I'm I'm interested in as well um, talking about it says how do we deal with family members that are not saved um, and I was I added to this I was thinking about this question today um, or even family members who are saved who perhaps are not living you know a Christian lifestyle and I've had recent conversations with a friend of mine about this so family members who are not of the faith and family members that may you know who are but are, are behaving in a certain way that's not really <laughs> yeah um, 
You know, I think there's a really interesting principle uh, that uh, that we can really benefit from that kind of answers, I think, both of those questions. Great. You know, dealing with non-believing loved ones and maybe even loved ones that uh, make a profession of faith but aren't walking their talk. Mm-hmm. It's found an interesting set of, uh, of instructions uh, for husbands and wives uh, mm-hmm. that we find in 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observed your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Hmm. Now, you know, the, the, the thing that I love about that is uh, when we think about unsafe loved ones and we think about individuals in our lives, you know, that uh, maybe are, are walking away from the Lord, uh, instantly, we want to start tracking along this line of saying, oh, boy, you know, what are the right words to say? And, and, and boy, you know, can I, I find a scripture or two that's a real zinger uh, for them that's going to make all the difference in the world? And we read books on evangelism and answers to tough questions and so on. And we, we, we want to have uh, that, that, that instant answer that we think is going to be that key that is going to open their heart. But, you know, the interesting thing is this. Uh, we can win people. You can win an argument, in a sense, most powerfully without a word. Uh, you know, witnessing, I think, you know, kind of gets a bad rap because we tend to think of witnessing for the Lord, whether it's in our homes, whether it's at work, mm-hmm. wherever we are, as something we do rather than something we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Uh, We are told by Jesus, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in all Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, notice it doesn't say you will do the work of witnessing. You know, again, we could look at Matthew 28 for an instruction about how you do the work of witnessing, you know, making disciples of all nations. But in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, it's emphasized that we are to be living examples to people of the difference that Jesus makes within a life. And if we get caught in a sense of the act, in the act of being ourselves as believers, Mm. just walking in a way where we love the Lord, where we're growing in our walk with him, where we're learning to deal in wisdom uh, with those who are outside, we are told, making the most of the time for the days are evil, as the scripture says. Uh, you know, we're going to finally find ourselves, I think, in one of the most ideal situations any believer ever gets into. That glorious day when the non-believer or maybe even the believer who's walked away looks at us and says, wow, you know, why are you so different? Hmm. You know, what is it about you? You know, you have peace in the midst of all of this. Or, or you've been so forgiving towards people who have been so, like, flat out mean to you. Uh, you know, where do you find... This, this hope, you know, and the stability when everybody seemed to be going nuts in this world. And, you know, when a non-believer looks at us and sees that, that is what being a witness is all about. And um, I think um, it was St. Francis of Assisi uh, who was famously quoted as saying, go into the world and preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if we can establish with people that the love of God is abiding in us, that his truth is transforming us, that Jesus is alive and real and living in us, then when they come to us with those kind of questions or, you know, when the bottom falls out in their lives 
and they, they come to us and they say, oh, I just don't even know what to do. Or, or, you know, those opportunities where we can simply pray for people that are, are struggling. That, I think, is uh, where we become really, really effective. Mm. And so, you know, do we look for opportunities to preach and proclaim the gospel? If that's your area of giftedness, man, look for those opportunities for sure. But if you're one of those people that's kind of like, well, you know, I just don't even know what the right words are to say, or, or you know, this, I'm so close to these people, they've seen me in my ups and downs and so on. Yeah, maybe they've seen you in the ups and downs, but, but so is God. And, and hopefully, even in the ups and downs, there's growth going on in your walk with God. You know, and we're, we're not all we will be uh, in the Christian life. We'll only be like Jesus when we see him face to face. But that doesn't mean that we have to be stuck in being the same old person. We also aren't all we used to be either. And uh, people are watching. You know, people are, 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 are looking at us. The minute they identify us as being a believer, you know, that's, that's what they're really looking for. Right. So. Yeah. yeah. And I always pray when, um, you know, a few years ago, God put this on my heart to always pray when people come forward for prayer, say here at church and they're going to be going into the hospital or going through yeah. some physical thing. Part of my prayer for them is always that they would be, um, you know, a witness, you know, to the doctors and the nurses and, and the staff that's taking care of them. Because I, I feel like that's such a great time. If you think about a hospital and all the patients that come and go, they're not in a great place in life. You know, it's not somewhere they choose to be. They're going through obviously some kind of physical ailment. But those patients that I'm sure kind of stand out to the staff are those who are, you know, patient, who are um, have joy, you know, even if they're going through, you know, cancer treatment. Um, they have, like you said, this other, like, what is different? You know, why, why do you have this joy? Why do you have this peace? How, you know, you're being kind to the people around you. And I think that's such a great opportunity to show that fruit of the spirit, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and to remember that because of course, I mean, I'm sure for myself, if I had a diagnosis, I had to go for treatment. The first thing in my head is thinking the, the discomfort I'm going to go through and, and my family, yeah. but to stop and think, man, the Lord yeah. can really use this to be a witness because it's okay to talk about the Lord and how great he is in the great times, but to be in a, in a hospital bed yeah. and still share in the joy of the Lord. And we have, I think of Evie, I think of people in our fellowship yeah. who just, just praise and just shine Christ to where it just inspires me and blesses me to, to visit her and right. others like that. Just, right. wow, like God is so present and real in that room and with them and you see it and it's such a powerful witness again without without words you know just the attitude and um yeah and, so. and, and these days i think if you go through a day and you're thankful instead of bitter <laughs> uh that, yeah. that you are more interested in the welfare of others than yourself yeah <laughs> you're gonna stand out like a sore thumb yeah uh, you know, I mean, these days, if uh, your language isn't peppered with all kinds of interesting adjectives, people will go, "Oh, you know, you're really, you're really different." You know, so uh, you know, I think we we need to just allow the Lord to make us different people and yeah. look for opportunities to explain what happened to us. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Question from Mac D. Great name here. This is a good question. Is it better to claim you're a sinner rather than a Christian, since I will always miss the mark and fall short? Well, you know, I don't think that's an either or. Right. Um, I think the same. You know, it's both. <laughs> um, a guy that uh, definitely was the both and in all that, Mac, uh, was the Apostle Paul. Uh, you know, it, you know, he was in the book of Romans, chapter seven. Uh, Paul talked about this interesting dilemma that the Christian life 
is all about. Uh, you know, he talked about how, uh, you know, he was doing just fine, he thought, keeping the commandments of God. After all, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, the Pharisees, one of the strictest sects of Judaism. Mm-hmm. And then one day he was reading the word and he came across the commandment, you shall not covet. Now, <laughs> covet's a nice Bible word, but basically it means it means to be envious of someone else, to desire what they have mm-hmm. that doesn't belong to you. And, and you know, the interesting thing about thou shalt not covet, uh, of all the commandments that we find in the horizontal, that's the only one that's internal. The rest mm-hmm. of them you could, in theory, keep on the outside. You know, and that's why when people get asked the question, you know, or you know, think I'm a, they say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I've never killed anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, so they think, well, I kept the Ten Commandments. But this thou shalt not covet is an internal issue. And it said, he goes and he says, but sin, taking the opportunity by the commandment, produced all kinds of evil desire in me. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin uh, deceived me, uh, and using the occasion of the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore, the law and the commandment is holy and just and good, but I'm something else. You know, we come face to face with a commandment like, you know, Thou shalt not cover. You read uh, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, uh, if you are angry with your brother in your own home, it's just as if you've murdered them in your heart. Mm-hmm. And I go, wow, yeah, that's, that's really true. And I don't think I've murdered anybody in my heart today. And then I drive home uh, from the office at the end of the day. And, you know, my uh, alleged track record gets uh, uh, violated in a big time. <laughs> so, you know, we have these internal things. And it always reminds us that uh, we're fallen people. Mm-hmm. And just because you're a born-again believer in Christ doesn't mean you don't struggle with fallenness. And Paul goes on and he says in verse 13 of Romans chapter 7, Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For I know the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, that is of the flesh, sold under sin. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For I will to do that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Mm-hmm. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. A wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God with the flesh, the law of sin. What he's saying, uh, in essence here, Mac. Is you're not alone. (laughs) Is we all, and I I had a, uh, my uh, uh, theology prophetatus Romans uh, summed this up so beautifully. He said, we live in the tension of uh, existing in two ages at once. Mm. 
Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 says we are already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're born again. We have a, a new spirit that God has given to us that delights in doing what God wants to do. And we experience that, you know, when, when we see the Lord loving through us. When we, we have, you know, supernaturally that right word from Scripture to share with somebody who's struggling. Uh, you know, I, I tell people, you know, what I do in, in ministry, I feel like the kid who grew up to be a baseball player. I can hardly believe I get to do this for a living. But I also see within me the one that delights in doing God's will, uh, another principle. I am still a fallen son of Adam and Eve. And until I leave this world, until I'm perfected, uh, I'm going to struggle with that. And sometimes the flesh gets its way with me, and sometimes the spirit has its way with me. You know, and that's why the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are in opposition, so you do not do the things that you choose. Now, understand something. If you're not a born-again believer in Christ, this isn't a struggle for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Because even though you might do some nice things from a human point of view, you can't please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Uh, so once we're forgiven, once we're reconciled to God, once we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, then this battle goes on. And somebody's like, why is it such a battle? Why do I struggle so much? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I think uh, C.S. Lewis uh, had a, a great line about this. No one really knows what it means to be bad until you've tried to be good. Mm-hmm. You know, he said there's this myth that goes around that really good people are just innocent and pure and they don't have really any knowledge of, of what it means, you know, to be tempted or anything like that. that that's just not true. Uh, you know, even our Lord was tempted in all ways as we are yet without sin. You know, and so if the perfect man in Jesus struggled with sin, he never gave in to it, but he struggled with it. And you and I, Mac, will struggle with sin until one of two things happen. Either we give into it or God takes it away, one of the two usually. But, but understand something, that struggle that goes on is proof positive that we are really born again. Mm-hmm. Because we do have the spirit that desires to see God's good, acceptable, and perfect will fulfilled in life. But we also have that fallen sinful nature. Uh, and it's going to be a struggle. And the big struggle that I have each and every day is this. Am I going to take my life into my own hands and try to manage my life on my own strength Mm -hmm. by the fallen sinful strategies that I learned to cope with life from knee high to a grasshopper onward? For me, oftentimes the beastie that gets me more than anything else is my approval seeking and my perfectionism. Because I learned that that was a great way of coping uh, with meeting people's expectations and staying out of trouble and managing difficult people Mm. within my life. And and so when I take my life into my own hands, I find myself becoming very perfectionistic, not only concerning myself, but also in my attitude towards others. I find myself becoming an approval seeker. I become you know, kind of phony it up. I don't let people really know what's going on in my mind because if they did, then, oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to get tossed aside and rejected. And when those things happen, you know, the peace of God just evaporates in my life. And it's Mm -hmm. like, the the good news is this, when when I find that happening, when I find myself taking things into my own hands, and usually God's smoke alarm, Mac, is negative emotions that we have, like fear, like anxiety, like uh, worry, like anger building up within us. 
you know, I've learned to take those as God's not so subtle tap on the shoulder going, you know what, kid, you're trying to manage your life again on your own power and strength. How's that working for you? Don't you think it'd be better for you to give your life back to me? Mm-hmm. And if I just stop myself in the midst of all this, you know, I, I just remember the instructions they gave us about crossing the street in kindergarten. You stop, watch, and listen. Mm-hmm. I stop myself. If, if I find myself going down that path, if I find myself getting riled up or find myself getting frustrated or flustered or, or fearful, I just stop myself. I take a break. I count to 10. I disengage. I go for a walk around the building or something like that. I stop myself because I keep going in the direction I'm going. Nothing good's going to come out of it. Mm. Then I watch. I, I, I say, okay, Lord, where did I get off the path? Mm. You know, um, Psalm 139 and verse 23 says, uh, 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 test me, dear Lord, show me my ways, try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Man, I pray that. God will always show me. And when he shows me where I got off the beam, then I know what the answer is. It's to turn my life and my will back over to him in that moment. It is to be specific about what's happening. Lord, you see these feelings. You see these emotions. You see this situation. Lord, forgive me for taking things into my own hands. Forgive me for taking a a bad situation and making it worse. If the practice of these things has damaged other people, I get with them and I ask them to forgive. Uh, and I try to keep really short, uh, you know, again, uh, a, a leash on that sort of thing. I don't let a lot of time pass before I do that. Uh, and, and then I, I turn back to God and I just say, Lord, you know, you said you'd keep in perfect peace the one whose mind has stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. So if I'm not experiencing God's perfect peace, if, if that's the, the problem, I've got the prescription. I have to keep my mind stayed on God, and I have to trust in Him. Mm-hmm. And and the easiest way to do that is just turn back to the Lord and say, "Okay, Lord, you see what a mess I am, uh, but uh, I, I ask you to take my life and my will." And you know, when I do that, Mac, the, the funny thing is, it might take five minutes, it might take five hours, but inevitably the peace of God comes back to me. In- inevitably, that that peace that passes understanding guards my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And, and here's the the, the disclaimer. If I have to do that seven, eight times during the day, I got to do it seven or eight times during the day. It's not a one-shot deal. So I hope that helps you. You're in a struggle that we can all relate to. That's right. Obviously. Even the Apostle Paul. Yeah, even the Apostle Paul. <laughs> so uh, thanks for that great question. And thank you all for spending time with us in the broadcast today. We'll be back tomorrow for more of your questions on God's Inspired Word. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word. One question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.